<coughs> Sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd have told me a year ago that, that number one, Borat 2 existed, Borat mm-hmm. 2 was then nominated for, for two Oscars, I would mm-hmm. not have believed you in the slightest. Everything else I completely disagree with. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Every Movie Ranked, brought to you by the Angry Microwave. I'm Brad, and with me as always is Callum. Callum, how are you doing? I am, um, I'll say it 8 out of 10 today. I think this is going to be quite interesting, because this is the, like the first time that me and you are sitting down without a guest in maybe four episodes now? It is. So we're probably about to find, well, we are about to find out um, whether it's the guests that really carry this show and this format. Uh, by now, you know what this format is. Uh, every week we take three movies and we put them in a comprehensive um, all movies of all time list. Um, so should we go over to the graphics now? Just have a look what films we've got. At the moment, we've got 23 films. I won't go through all of them. Um, but at the top there, we've got uh, Room, Mission Room. Impossible, Fallout, School of Rock, Booksmart, and Crank. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, for the listeners slash watchers, we haven't recorded in about a month now. Um, we basically batch recorded a load um, yes. earlier in the year. So seeing Crank at number five <laughs> makes me think... Yeah, that something's gone wrong, but um, clearly Richard uh, Sandling convinced us because I, I, I think I was there. I think I must have agreed to this placing. That, that's the crazy thing, isn't it? So for anyone listening or watching, um, this is only this is coming out a week after the previous episode, um, and we're actually recording this. And as soon as we record this episode, it's going live. But for us, when we had Richard on, that was a good few weeks ago, and I completely forgot that we even spoke about Crank, let alone the <laughs> fact that it's it's in the top five. That's a movie that I actually enjoy as well, but it's above uh, movies like Wayne's World, uh, Soul, which is all the way down at number nine. Oh boy! I just, okay. I just think it shows like um, that if somebody brings the energy and they have that belief behind the film, they can really convince us that these films can go anywhere. From Crank being number five to Soul being number nine on the list, <laughs> and then the mega number eight, like those five films between five and number ten, just show what people can do when they bring their energy and bring their passion for these questionable films. <laughs> Um, that's 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 what you know that, that's why we love this show um people will leave comments as to why is this film all the way down here um why is the film all the way up there and then they'll add um <laughs> crank or the meg as one of the best films of all time because to them it is and we've got to try and argue with them um and try and talk them down um and more often than not, they convince us. <laughs> Should we take a look at the um, second half of the list, though? Let's, Let's take see. a look at the bottom half of the list. Um, so we've got 23 films. The one that stands out to me is, um, in fact, it's not actually on... Um, it's not even on this, because this is the bottom half of the list, isn't it? Mm. But Batman and Robin is all the way up in 14th out of 23 films. <laughs> Surely that's going to be knocked out today. <laughs> uh, well, I mean... We'll, we'll find out. Um, but for me, uh, I'm kind of happy with how the bottom half of the list is looking. Constantine, Personal History of David Copperfield, Zombieland. Uh, those three movies, for me, I, I think they are in a category of of just bland nothingness. Um, Hubie Halloween, up in 19th. I'm going to say up in 19th, because <laughs> I was expecting that film to be rock bottom for a very long time. Um, I think it's... Just- 
way up there so i think i think it just it's mainly because it has fun with itself even though it's a bad movie yeah um rather than constantine is the opposite of the definition of fun <laughs> anyway uh, sh- should we go and check me. out the first movie and reveal the theme of this episode this yes is... well obviously it's not really much of a reveal because it's going to be in the title um <laughs> of the video uh, but this week we are talking about sasha baron cohen i think he is a genius he's clearly a very smart man and this week we are talking about three um interesting um movies of his um contrasting um you know <laughs> in, in the three of them uh, but first we're talking about borat now when borat came out in 2006 if, do you want to start the time i should like go first yeah go on Crack on. Uh, when this movie came out in 2006, everyone everyone wanted to watch this at any given opportunity. It was the, you watch it with your friends, you can watch it on your own if you're feeling down, you can watch it with the family, because there's something in this film that will make the person watching it laugh. There's something in this film that will make that same person cringe and just want to turn it off because it's like I, I can't deal with this awkwardness um but i absolutely I, I think this movie's great i think it really works um as a comedy which is obviously what it's supposed to do it really shines a light on some um some topical well you're being very generous in my time with that <laughs> it really shines a light on um on on america uh, and some american values um, and it just as a satire, it just works. It's so funny, and there are scenes in this film that now I'm pretty sure I could, you know, I could repeat them verbatim because it's just legendary. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna talk for like maybe like a Svego. I just had to fix something. Sorry, <laughs> but we do we do this show as live, and one day this will be a live. Will actually go out live. So, should I take away with mine? Yeah, go on. Um, so I kind of agree with you. Borat, it was a cultural phenomenon when it came out. I think there's very few films that have the impact in pop culture as Borat did. And and to be fair, he's tried since with like Bruno and The Dictator and none of it stuck. I think it was the shock horror of Borat when it first came out. It was the kind of like, innocence isn't the word, but like the naivety of the character that really kind of like entertained people. Um, and I mean, I remember as a kid just thinking it was a kind of outrageous kind of film, but but I rewatched it last year um, before the sequel came out, and I, I didn't realize how much of like a, a political satire it kind of was at mm-hmm. the time. And I think it kind of works on those two levels that kids will watch it because it's silly and it's it's kind of grotesque, but then watching it as now like you see a lot more of a kind of like, like yeah political statements that he tries to make and i think that definitely adds some kind of value to this film that that i didn't really realize it had until last year yeah and that's that's the thing as well i think when we were younger we watched it because it was gross and it was funny and you know like the (laughs) the the naked hotel fight knowing they actually did that for real it goes on for so long as well in the film i didn't realize um but like you say it really is a, a a story of um, of America and shining a light on America, which is fascinating. Um, so if we just go into the list, because we can go on all day about how this is a you know a, a great film. It came out at the right right time for us. I still think it holds up now. Um, now you're showing me here the top fourteen oh. films. Um, I'm assuming you you're expecting this to go into into uh, the top half, right? I definitely think it's top half material. Are you? on the same page as me or are you literally on the other page um i'm no I, I, it's 
I love Batman and Robin, but it's better than that. Uh, it's better than Ready Player One. It's better than Gemini Man. It's a better comedy um, than... It works better... It's a better comedy than Wayne's World, the thing in is, my opinion. It, it's the same issue that we had with Crank on the last episode, and that it's a film like no other that we've had on this list before. Yeah. So that makes it really hard to put in an objective list of ranking every movie because it's so mm-hmm. different to anything else we've ever seen. I mean, and whatever we rank this is spoilers, Borat 2 is one of the films we're going to be ranking also today. So this is mm-hmm. going to set the bar for how we rate yeah. that film as well. <laughs> so, uh, I mean... I've re- it's Okay, for me, it's not... If we're just talking about a, a, a blend of comedy and drama, I do think that School of Rock and Booksmart are probably edging it in that respect. There are much harder laughs in Borat, I think, but I do think that Booksmart and School of Rock are better films. Um, I concur with that. I think it's definitely below below number four. The problem is, is Crank has made itself to number five. <laughs> Well, I, I, okay. The fact that Crank is, and I'm sorry, Richard, I know that um, technically you've actually only had uh, Crank in the top five for for one week when this comes out. Uh, but I, I think it's it goes above Crank. I mean, Crank was absolutely phenomenal, and it probably had a, <laughs> a lower budget than this film did, to be honest. And what they did with that budget, it stretches so far, uh, and it really is unique. I think in its in its style and the way that it it just the aesthetics, everything. I, I, I do really like Crank, but is it a better movie than Borat? I'd say no. So I'd, for me, it goes in fifth place. Um, so let me just talk it through. So if we, if we take Crank away from this situation, if we just yeah. remove it, um, <laughs> I like Wayne's well, but I just think this has more, it was the cultural phenomenon that surrounded Borat that's pushing it way yeah. up for me. There, there is honestly nothing else like it in my head that I can think that's happened. Um, mm-hmm. Even I think, I think, it, I think it was bigger than Jackass as, as a movement when I was in my kind of like teens. I think Borat was just it was just, it was just everywhere. Like he invented the mankini and put it everywhere. There's... Well, this this is the thing, um, and I can't remember who it was who said this. Um, so I'll, I'll take credit for it. Uh, but someone said that. To look at the the impact that a film had on pop culture and how relevant that film is and how important that film is in pop culture, just look at Halloween. Do people dress up <laughs> <laughs> as a particular character um, for Halloween? Avatar, for example, the, it literally has made more money than any film ever has. But nobody dresses up as Na'vi at Halloween. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen Arrested Development? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I don't. I don't really think that counts. Whereas, unfortunately, at least a few times a year, I see f- um, photos on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook of someone wearing that bloody mankini with that stupid moustache, you know, with the two thumbs up, and it it's still. A, a, piece of comedy gold it's just fascinating to me that borat for me has gone from being a great film it's gone through being a cringy kind of thing and it's now gone full circle to where it's like gold standard again and i just yeah. I, I i just respect that like 
it's gone on such a journey throughout pop culture <laughs> in the past like 15 years that um so yeah i think it's better than wayne's world i think it's better than happy death day i think it's better than the meg so really con- i think yeah i think it's you know going down that list i genuinely think it's better than all those films now <laughs> going yeah, one I'm- by one it definitely, for me, I I think just because of the the relevance and the the impact that it had. Now, I would be fascinated to know what somebody makes of this film if they're watching it for the first time mm. now in 2021. <laughs> and we'll talk about that a bit more when we talk about Borat 2. But really, this was such the same as the reason why he I mean, he doesn't really touch Ali G anymore. Because um, I don't think you could do that character <laughs> at all in, in 2021. This film was so not just of its time, but just of the format and everything. It's it's still so relevant now because of um, the the issues and the topics that it explores. You know it because the character itself is is punching up in society. We actually we can have. A, a fun time with this movie and they're the great they're the, they're the best kind of comedies and you know the best comedians are the ones that can punch up they don't have to resort to punching down um so for me yeah that was a bit of a, a tangent there but i do think it goes number five i think it goes between book smart and and crank for me so shall we lock it in i think well i think we're in agreement with number five let's lock it in let's take a look there we are bora in at number five of a list well T- 2006 was a good year <laughs> <laughs> or crack. Oh, I didn't even notice they came out at the same time. It, wow. It will be fascinating at some point to um, run some analytics on this and see kind of like where the average placings of films are because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, 2018 is the only, yeah, in the top five, it's any recent film. Uh, but by oh, that but metric as well. well, 2019 takes up quite a lot of films at the back end of uh, <laughs> at the back end of this list. But yeah, so that's our new top five. We've got um, Bora at number five and then Booksmart at four. Um, you just take the graphic down. Uh, School of Rock at three, Mission Impossible at two, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout at two, and then Room at number one. So next up today, we are talking about a very different kind of film, a film that came out last year, a film that we saw in the cinemas uh, when those were a thing. And this is Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, I'll let you go first uh, okay. with this one, as I went first last time. Is the timer working? <laughs> there you go. So, Aaron Sorkin, he writes great scripts. He does not direct great films. He's not a bad director at all, but I feel like... <laughs> John Van there. I feel like um, it, if Spill... No. If it, yeah, Fincher, that's it. If David Fincher had directed this, I think it would be a brilliant film. But it's just missing that magic. And like Aaron Sorkin writes incredible scripts, and there's some incredible, yeah, incredible scenes in this. But it doesn't gel together. It is missing that magic. And it's the same thing as Molly's Game. I like they're great films, but they just miss that magic, and they're so close. But it is just missing a good director. And I really wish that, that this kind of like thing where basically like screenwriters go off and then try and like direct would just stop because he is best at screenwriting and, and, he, should, and he should stick to that. Um, yeah, I'm really conflicted. Brad, take it away. Uh, I disagree. 
Uh, I actually think I, if we were talking about Molly's game, everything that you just said from it. <coughs> Sorry, I'm allergic to bullshit. <laughs> um, if you, if you were talking about Molly's game, I would completely agree with every single word that you just said. However, for me, this did blend together well. Ah, oh, there you go. Uh, this did this did blend together well for me. Um, I think tonally, I I do think it's it's a little bit choppy. I do I do agree, but this the film does have flow for me, and I was in it. And for a courtroom drama, you know, it had my attention, which obviously he's always going to do. He's always been good at the, the courtroom stuff because his dialogue is on full display and is, you know, it's a dick measuring contest with him when it comes to screenwriting. <laughs> we all know that he's one of the best in the world. Um, and I actually think he should have won the Oscar uh, for this, for, for screenwriting. But I know my time's up. But for me, I I I think maybe you're underselling the the job that he's he's done as a director here. Now I understand if you know you feel like it's choppy and it's missing that something special because in the hands of a Fincher or a Spielberg or one of the best filmmakers that's ever been alive, mm. yeah, this this would have been uh, a better a better picture. But this is an Aaron Sorkin movie and it is a step up from Molly's Game. And he's only had a few directorial efforts. And I do think he's getting better. And I actually thoroughly enjoyed this. I mean, like from my point of view, this would have been one of those things where it would have been better as a limited series, for sure. Um, I, I think it would have forced um, Aaron Sorkin to make this into very distinct kind of chapters and have like a four a four episode run and, and give it time to breathe. Because I, I, I just don't think the blockiness of this film works. It feels very blocky. Like... Like somebody is there opposed to those like mo- like moving scenes around feels very much like that, and I just think that would have been resolved if it had been a limited time series on Netflix. So that's the only thing that, from my point of view, I think yeah. where it feels kind of slightly off in that it would have been fantastic as that kind of material. No, it, it is fascinating that you say that it feels very much like um, like post-it notes on a board. It's like this and then this, and everything's in chunks. Because really, that I think that that, that is because he's a writer. Mm. That is where that's coming from. And I, I don't disagree that, again, if it was in someone else's hands, it would have been a bit smoother. Or maybe if it, it probably would have worked better as a limited series. But for me, this is one of the, my favourite films of last year, of like the 10 that were released. Um, but this is generally one of my favourite films of that year. But if we look at the list... We have made it very clear over the last seven episodes how much I love Happy Death Day. Now, I honestly think it would be disingenuous of me to say as much as I love The Trial of Chicago 7, even though they're very different movies. <laughs> and obviously, Trial of Chicago 7 is, I think, a really important movie uh, with what it tackles um, and portraying real events. Uh, it's not as good as Happy Death Day for me. I could watch Happy Death Day every day of the week and I would have a really nice time. Is it better than The Meg? Yeah. Okay. Is it better than Soul? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm having a real tough time. So I think I know I think I know where I'm gonna put it, but I I kinda wanna speak about it a bit more before I proclaim okay. and show my hand. Um <laughs> oh, no. I I do love a courtroom drama. I absolutely loved Your Your Honor, which came out of Brian Cranston. I'm I'm a sucker for courtroom dramas, and I mm-hmm. thought he did that pretty well. I thought Mark, I thought Mark Rylance gave an incredible performance, being their lawyer slash not lawyer. I thought yeah. that was brilliant. Um, 
good old Michael Keaton turns up. It's not really a spoiler because it's uh, he just rocks up. I think he's great in it. I think I think everyone across the board's kind of quite good in it. Um, I thought Sasha Baron Cohen was good in it. I don't think he was Oscar worthy for it, but um, I thought he had a great performance. I don't normally like Eddie Redmayne, but I thought he played his character quite well. Kind of like the kind of this kind of like preppy college kid, I, and it kind of challenges some of those um, views that people have against them. I thought I thought that that was really done really well. So overall, um, I think the ensemble cast is pretty good, and this does make me really want to have an ensemble Oscar. Um, mm-hmm. Same yep. same with, same with Judas and the Black Messiah, where, where they both went for supporting. I feel like these I feel like an like ensemble Oscar needs to happen these days. Because you've mm. obviously got Knives Out from last year. You've got this here. Like, there's definitely, like, ensemble films that are out there at the moment. And I I, I think it definitely works towards this film, having that brilliant cast of actors w- with each other. I, I think that yeah. definitely works. Um, uh, that's fascinating, because apart from the ensemble um, Oscar stuff, I mean, I, which I completely, I completely agree with. I mean, it's ludicrous that there isn't one, because... Like you said, you've now got two um, actors from the same movie fighting out for an award that they both deserve. Like, come on. Um, everything else, I completely disagree with. <laughs> I I do think that Sasha Baron Cohen was Oscar-worthy. I thought he was a powerhouse in this film. I didn't like Eddie Redmayne. Not really. I, 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 yeah. And I did like Aaron Sorkin's directing. So it's, We're, we're literally <laughs> opposites. <laughs> Well, we, I don't think we've actually had a film where we've we're actually I've actually completely disagreed with everything that Well, well <laughs> that it's weird said. because I I think I I think we're kind of roughly in the same ranking, like the same space on this list. It's just for completely different reasons. Which is kind of fascinating because it literally is opposite reasons why we like slash dislike this film. Which I suppose is the is the beauty of this format, is discovering these films where we have very diverse opinions on. But, um, I think what we can agree is that the film has flaws. It yeah. it does, and for me, as much as I I do think, like I said, there's some great dialogue, really well written, some excellent performances. I just don't think it's as fresh, and it didn't hit me as hard as um, oh, that's a thought police just driving past. Um, <laughs> It, it didn't hit me as hard as a, a dramatic piece with the messages it was trying to, to convey. Um, and it didn't feel particularly fresh just because Aaron Sorkin spent half of his career writing courtroom dramas. So for me, it can't go above Happy Death Day. And I just love that movie too much. And I, do, I don't love uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 as much. It does very much feel like one of those films that's going to be forgotten about in the next like few months. <laughs> that people are going to forget this film ever came out. It just kind of like came and went. Um, yeah, like you said, I don't think I don't think it says anything new in, ter- in, in terms of how the how the film's kind of like created and messaged and even directed. I think I think it's quite a paint by numbers kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But but again, Aaron Sorkin's script, like I. I'm a massive fan of Sorkin and the stuff he writes to them. I, like, I, I've got tickets next year to go and see his version of To Kill a Mockingbird in London with Rafe Spall. And I'm so excited to see that, to see what he does with such a classic kind of like piece of text. And yeah. I I think I'll always watch Sorkin stuff because the, the, like the monologues and stuff is just incredible. And there's no one else out there like him. So it's definitely not a bad film. I think I'm in a good film. If, <laughs> if I had to give it a ranking out of 10, I'd say about a seven and a half. Um, Maybe an eight between there, but um, okay. So in terms of a list, 
for me, it's above El Camino and below Happy Death Day. That is where I'm at. So we're looking at number 9, 10, or 11 is what I would say. Okay, so above El Camino. Yeah, I I think it's above El Camino for sure. Um, I think Midsummer is the sticking point for me. I think so. I think Soul's a better film. Actually, I think it, I think it's more of a it's more of a better I, film overall for me. Soul, it feels more complete. It feels like it's yeah. and, it, and it feels like it is telling something new, which I feel like is quite important to me when I watch a film. There's so many films out there that I think so I, I think a film having like a, like a new message or kind of a new take is very important to me in where it ranks. Um, by by that logic, then Midsummer needs to go above it. Mm. Be- because this is where I'm at. Midsummer, by no means, is a perfect film, but there's a no. vision behind Midsummer. It, yeah, it, 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 it's a very unique film, Midsummer, and there's nothing like it. So yeah, that that's where I'm struggling. So so in my head, I don't know if it's above or below Midsummer, because I think I'd rather rewatch this film over Midsummer. But I think Midsummer is probably a better film, and people will remember Midsummer. Like Midsummer came out, how many years ago is it? Two years ago now, um, and this feels more distant than than Midsummer in terms of the thing the with with there. Midsummer. And I think we were maybe a bit harsh on Midsummer because the film is, I think, overly long. The, the pacing is quite questionable in parts, but when it builds um, towards the end. Um, without spoilers uh, it it certainly knows what it wants to be i just feel like it took a while it didn't know how to get to the place where it wanted to get to and for me i had pacing problems with that film but the ending and the imagery and just uh, the aesthetics throughout it feels so wholly original that on that basis i think if we're comparing the two as much as i do really like um trial of chicago seven i do admit that it's got flaws. Mm. Um, and truth be told, I don't know how much of me loved it. because, you know, maybe it's because it was the first film I saw in a cinema for six months. You know, I don't know how much of that actually comes into play here. Yeah. So just for the, the benefit of just being original, I think Midsummer has to go above Alchem- um, uh, Trial of Chicago 7. So that would put the Trial of Chicago 7 in number 12, right? That would, yes. Okay. I'm sold. I'm surprised I managed. I'm surprised I managed to talk you down from just below Happy Death Day. That was a good like three spaces there, but it is well, it, it is the having like Soul is a great film as a whole. I don't think this is a great film as a whole. I like I don't think every aspect of it's great, and, and clearly it isn't because because me and you both have very differing opinions about what's good and what's bad, which isn't a bad yeah. thing. But I think I I think when you place it next to films like Soul, which is there's no glaring obvious error, like errors or kind of like weaknesses in Soul, particularly. So, what well, part of the fact it's a body swap movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, uh, so let's just take a, a quick peek over at the updated list then. So, uh, it's just outside the top 10. So, uh, at number 10, we've got Soul. At number 11, we've got Midsummer. At number 12, Trial of the Chicago 7. At 13, El Camino, and at 14, Gemini Man. And, that and obviously means... we'll go through the most comprehensive um, version of this list at the end of the episode. So that's just pushed Ready Player One down to the second page. Oh no. It, it has. It's, it's pushed it down. Um, and good. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for it to drop 10 places. 
um, if you if you fancy. Uh, so last up today, we have the recently, although maybe not so recently, released now. I don't know what time <laughs> is anymore. Uh, released Borat Two. Who wants to go first on this one? Uh, I'll let you go first okay. again. I'll let you go first. This is one of those films where I think I've got to rank it purely on the experience that I watched this in. This was the, the first film I watched in a semi-busy cinema in the middle of a pandemic. Everything was safe. I saw it at Curzon. Curzon's great cinema. Very safe. Um, and, and everyone was masked up at the whole thing. Literally, it's the best place to go in the middle of a pandemic if you want to see a film. Um, but it, it, it was such a special experience to me seeing it in a room full of people laughing communally after about nine months of not having that it was just so special to me having that experience of being in a room full of people and having that kind of like connection with everyone in that room so for me i think that gives this film so many bonus points in the way that i saw it um in terms of other things it came out in a time where nobody was expecting it we've seen james bond trailers for two years now so most of the films (laughs) that are coming out we've been sold to death but but this film came out of middle of nowhere it was current and it was a film of its time for sure Bradley oh you full named me okay uh so uh (laughs) I I think there's some really good stuff in this film and I do think there are some really good things in this film again same as the first one the message it's trying to get across I'm completely on board Uh, I loved the supporting character in this I thought she was brilliant um and when a move um, when a movie makes it onto mainstream news for <laughs> controversies or you know for whatever reason it's done its job especially a film that's meant to provoke which this film does <laughs> the issue i have for me is that it felt like it was too focused on one particular message which was these people dumb and bad Obviously, we know that. The first movie felt original and it felt new and it felt fresh. This, to me, felt like it was a really predictable avenue to explore. And it I don't even think it's the the first mockumentary or whatever to, to focus on this particular um, topic. But and I think, for me, yeah. for me, there's there's also too much of it which is film and narrative and less of the Sashi Baron Cohen or um, you know daughter undercover um, with real people for me that it just didn't it felt too disjointed but for me that stuff worked so normally I hate these kind of like improv kind of like films when they go super narrative example of films that have done that badly is the Impractical Jokers movie that came out last year all the narrative stuff was trash in that. Um, Jackass, but the bad grandpa film that came out, all the narrative stuff in there is absolutely trash. But for me, this clicks. Like I didn't mind that. I didn't mind the narrative stuff in this because I think it was just done so well. And Maria Bakalova, I think is her name. Um, she mm-hmm. is incredible in this film. If you'd have she told, is. if you'd have told me a year ago that, that number one Borat Two existed, Borat mm-hmm. Two was then nominated. For, for two Oscars, two Oscars? Yeah, for two Oscars, for screenplay and supporting actress, I would mm-hmm. not have believed you in the slightest. And, and, and she deserves it. She deserves it. And I think that's testament 
to h- how great this film is and how like there, there was an Oscar nominated performance in Borat 2 that is a sentence that is factually correct which is <laughs> which kind of blows my mind that that ever happened but I just think I, I think the film I think the pace of the film is I, I think it's amazingly done in I, I mean that edit room must be an absolute mess with the amount of stuff that they filmed. I think yeah. I think there's a bonus sixty minute cut that's coming out either this oh, week really? or next on Amazon. So clearly there was a lot of footage that they didn't use. Um, yeah. I mean Sasha Baron Cohen was in that house with those two rednecky people. Don't mm-hmm. come for me. I don't, I don't know how to refer to them. Um, <laughs> um, but for three days I think he was in that house. So clearly there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah a lot of footage in there. I just think I just think it works on so many levels. And again, I'm probably seeing this through rose tinted glasses, same as Ready Player One, in, 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 in the experience that I that I watched the film. But mm-hmm. I just I just enjoyed it so much. It was it was such a laugh. And I think so did you see this at home I presume? At home, yeah. This, this is the weird thing about these kind of films, especially in the past year is I think they're two very different experiences depending on how you view films, whether you yeah. see them at home or whether you see them in a cinema. And All I'll say about that is I did acknowledge during when we are talking about The Trial of Chicago 7 that maybe I enjoyed this film a bit more than I would have done otherwise <laughs> because it was the first time I'd seen a film in a long time in the cinema. So I think it's only fair <laughs> when it comes to you making your, your ranking and your judgments that you acknowledge that maybe you've you've got a bit of a uh, a slightly adjusted viewpoint of this movie because of your experience. Oh, definitely, but surely, but then the argument comes: where do we rank films, or in where they're meant to be seen, which is cinemas, or do we rank them in if you want to go and watch it today? That is an existential crisis that I don't really want to get into at the moment on this show. But <laughs> that's fair enough. But that is definitely a glaring problem that we're going to have, whether whether we rank it on films that, that if you go away today and watch it, um, is it is it ranked on that or is it ranked on the experiences we had or is it ranked seeing it in a cinema? Like there's so many of these variables which we're gonna somehow yeah. have to tackle at some point. But for me, it was just it was such an experience seeing it. Um, and even the giant reveal at the end, um, spoiler alert for Borat 2, um, <laughs> the fact that he's behind COVID, I thought I thought was quite good. Like, they never really addressed COVID the whole time in the film until at the end. And I thought that was quite good. Maybe that will seem very dated in a few years' time. I don't know. But but, but right now, in 2021, I, I, I think this film holds up. Um, I also didn't think, I was, I didn't think it was cringy at all. I think there's definitely cringy moments in the first one. But I just think, like, like there's so many good, like, there's so many good setups of this. Like, the whole I ate a baby kind of, or I need a baby removed was just... Yeah. And even the faxing stuff, there's just so many moments in this film that I think is so unique and just works on many levels. There's also this re- repeated gag about when he's trying to send a fax. Um, but it, I, it just... For me, it didn't work the first time. It didn't work the 50 other times um, that the, the gag was repeated. Uh, I I think it's definitely missing uh, the... I can't remember the guy's name from the first movie. Um, I know that they had a bit of... Oh, the chubby out. guy. His, his yeah. agent-y person. Yes. Yeah, I, I do think it's, it's missing him. But I personally would have preferred Sasha Barrow. I, I would have preferred for this to not have been a Borat movie. Because in the end, I don't even think it needed to be. Because the the 
female character is so strong and she is so good that you really you realize that the reason why Sasha Brown Cohen couldn't really do his thing is because he's so recognizable. Mm. But I don't but understand it, why he couldn't have just made uh, clearly, a feature length. Clearly the reason is because the price tag of this film, it wasn't Borat. It's probably a few million less. It's clearly the boring reason why. But I, I totally agree because Sasha Baron Cohen isn't Borat in the majority of this film. He's, he's Borat undercover because you can't be Borat yeah. these days. Yeah. And I think I, I do, I, I do think that's a fair point. And I would have liked for him to have had like, the balls to, to basically come up with a new character or just but yeah. you, do you remember who is america i thought who is america was brilliant but nobody watched it it was no it was brilliant but i don't understand why he had so many great characters in that i don't understand how they couldn't have come to the forefront here but anyway i don't like rank uh looking at movies and saying this is what i would have preferred or i wish that had happened because at the end of the day i'm not making the movies we're talking about not yet anyway so we're we're not we're we're not here to say this should have happened and i'm not here to say uh, i would have preferred that because we're judging films based on what we actually got and what we actually got was such a, a strong oscar worthy um performance um from and i, I, I can't pronounce her name sorry <laughs> you, you say it maria bakalova i believe there you go and if you butchered it that's on you um, <laughs> And if anything, I, I I do like a lot in this movie. Like when he's on stage, for example, I loved that. When he crashes the conference, uh, the Mike Pence conference, I absolutely loved that. And when she crashes, uh, crashes the, the women's meeting, I oh absolutely, yeah. everything about that was absolutely peak Borat for me, but there wasn't enough of that. But even, even the bit at the end where they show that she's been undercover as a genuine White House journalist for a good month or so, that feels like it feels like there's a whole film beneath that whole thing. Because yeah. she she had White House access for like a full month and she was working with genuine other reporters inside the White House mm-hmm. with, with cameras because they clearly had a camera there. That seems in itself like a whole other film that I'd absolutely love to watch. And um, that's... Um, just to completely contradict what i've just said um i'd i would have preferred uh something like that because i do think there's a, a really good movie in here and for me i just feel like it's a bit they focus too much on trying to make this not a a, a clip show movie essentially no one wants a movie 43 um <laughs> So obviously they need to have some form of, of linear narrative and I completely understand that. But for me, I feel like they sacrificed some bits of, of gold for the sake of trying to tell the story they were originally trying to tell. And then it's almost like the pandemic and the election becomes like a bit of a road bump to where they're trying to get to, which is a bit of a shame because I actually, I did enjoy the, what I come to these movies for is the the improv and and that and the undercover bits and just watching real people interact with these ludicrous characters. So anyway, I think let's take a look at the list. What are you thinking? I think the first question we need to ask ourselves, is it better or worse than the original Borat? I feel like I know where you're going to go with this, but I'm going to go the opposite way. I think, I think it's better than the first Borat film for me. No. I I honestly think, I I honestly think at the moment, in 2021, still in the pandemic, 
well, some people, some people still think we're in a pandemic. Uh, I, I definitely do. I definitely do. I'm not. I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. Move on. Move on. Move on. <laughs> um, I just, I, 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 it just feels more culturally relevant because it is culturally relevant because it's just come out. And I think this is going, this is going to be the problem. I feel like, I feel like this film may age very quickly in a year's time when Trump is hopefully a distant memory, when COVID is hopefully over this film may feel very dated. That's my only concern with putting this film so high up on the list, is that if this podcast continues, um, that it will age badly. That is my worry. And that's that was my point at the beginning when we were talking about this film, is that it feels very much like, oh, we're, the, the target of this joke isn't, you know, a, a, a scattering of, of people and seeing how ludicrous people that on the surface seem normal can be for me this is very much a, this is the, the group we're, we're we're targeting uh it's very much here and now but even now i still I, even now i feel like it's it's kind of even post pandemic I, I think it's gonna feel it's, dated it's a bit like rudy giuliani has had his moment now and has regressed back into whatever hole he came out of and I don't know how relevant Rudy Giuliani being <laughs> compromised would be even today. I don't know how relevant that moment would be today. The fact this film came out before the election, very intentionally, it was relevant at the time. I haven't seen it since. I don't know if that punchline would particularly work now, mm-hmm. let yeah. alone in a year's time. I don't know if anyone's going to... I don't think the dramatic weight that it held back then will still hold in a year's time because because i feel like it's already weakening now i feel like rudy giuliani being the butt of the joke isn't that relevant all of a sudden because he's disappeared to wherever he came from mm-hmm. so that is my worry about ranking it high up in my list so that is that that's my cards on the table i think it's better than the original borat but i think it's quite a weak argument <laughs> because time is a thing for me I think we're talking ten places lower than what oh my you've God. just said. On the second, we're I talking think second page. No, material. no, I I think we're we're talking below El Camino and above Gemini Man. For me, oh, my because God. to me this doesn't really feel like uh, it didn't really work as a narrative structure for me because I felt like a, too much of a distraction. And for me, the, the improv bits, there were some absolute, don't get me wrong, some of the moments in this film, I've I've not laughed so hard so well, since Game Night, because that's one of the best movies ever made. But still, um, I haven't laughed such a I love so Jason hard. Bateman. Jason Bateman's a great fucking actor. There you go. There it is. <laughs> I knew Sorry. you were going to jump in with that. Um, maybe we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but Borat 2 has some absolutely great individual moments. And laugh out loud had to pause it because i'm like oh boy that was that was funny <laughs> this this stuff <laughs> when he dresses up and there's the two elderly women <laughs> and obviously sasha baron cohen is a jewish person right which is why that joke that joke works because he can make that joke <laughs> right Although, it's so do, offensive. Do you not want to recreate that scene for us now, Bradley? No, I'm trying. I'm purposely trying to avoid talking about what happened. Wait, what did happen? I can't remember. Can you please explain Shut it? Up. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> anyway, stuff like that for me. That that's 
peak Sasha Baron Cohen. That, that's peak Borat. But we didn't really get enough of that, um, which is a shame. He left you but, wanting more, exactly. And now he's going to give it to you in a 60-minute no, worth of bonus no, footage next week. left me wanting more every 15 minutes in the movie, and that's the problem. Oh, the pace that's of it That's the was problem just, I have. I love... The, did, did you watch this? I presume the answer is no, given a pandemic. Did you watch it with other people? Yeah. Oh, you did? And you still didn't... Oh. Yeah, and, and they and they enjoyed it more, well, more that, than I did. Well, that's that argument gone out the window. <laughs> And they, oh. and they enjoyed it more more than I did. And I don't get me wrong, like I, it's not a bad movie. Like we're not talking, oh, this goes below Ready Player One. This goes below Batman and Robin. It's a funny movie. It was one of the first but... times that like a legacy sequel was good though. Like you look at Dumb and Dumber and Dumb and Dumber Two. You look at Anchorman and Anchorman Two. Two very culturally kind of like big films, and the sequel just absolutely flopped. This was one of the first times that a legacy sequel has come out. And for me, it's hit the bar of what I wanted it to do. And again, I think going back to before, the past two years, every film that has like kind of come out, like you look at Tenet, you look at um, what other big films come out. There's been quite a few <laughs> that, that, that have been trailers after trailers after trailers and we're bored of it. It just felt like the first fresh movie that we had last year. And again, mm-hmm. roast into glasses and all that. But having a film just pop out of nowhere with no constant marketing and just enjoying it was an absolute charm for me. So that is why I think it's... Oh, okay. So I, 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 I think what I think what I need to do, I need to go down the list before, like I did, because that made my mind up. So okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say one thing before you get down the list, if that's all right. Okay. I'm going to say the last thing I'm, I'm going to say before we talk about where we're actually going to put it and we need to wrap up. So, Borat 2 is not a bad movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's a funny movie. And it, it does its job. But we've just talked about Borat and how culturally relevant that film still is today and how that film is literally, it's a classic and it's one of the best comedy films ever made. This, this is not better than that. For me, the jokes don't hit harder. It's not as coherent. It jumps the shark a bit a few times. And it it just, it isn't. I mean, you're talking about being the fifth best movie of all time, according to the list that we're currently putting together. For me, it it just is not. It's a, it is a funny movie and it is a good movie, but it's not a great movie. And it's not the best comedy that we've got on this list. Okay, so I feel like we're going to have to compromise. <laughs> so okay so wayne's world I'd, i i think wayne's world's gonna have way more legacy and weight so your your top seven is safe i'd say okay. compromising now this is where this definitely feels like that these next five films are out of order so they feel like they should be rearranged <laughs> there's, so this, there's a lot of that so this is where it gets very messy because I think it's better than Happy Death Day. Don't kill me. I think it's better than The Mech. I don't think it's better than Soul. I don't think it's better than Midsummer. <laughs> so what we do here, I don't know. I don't know what we do. I really... This is so weird. This is such a flaw in our podcast. But I honestly... Oh, this is agonising. I really don't know where to put it. I'm at a loss. Okay. I'm... All right. I mean, this is our show, so we could do what we want. But... <laughs> every episode we give the guest an option 
to move a film up or down a place in the list. Mm. So, can, can we collectively move on? Can we, if if we collectively us two now decide, and Emma, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if we put Meg below Soul, okay. then now I think there's an argument for it to be slightly higher up the list because I don't think it can go above Soul, but it does need to go above the Meg. Okay, so let me just update this list and see what it looks like. So that is a new thing then that we could just, yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's fair. I feel like that's consistent with, with with what we're doing, you know. So You know what? Our, our three viewers aren't going to care. That's fine. <laughs> okay. So now this feels like it makes my life a bit easier. Because now I feel like it sits between number nine and number ten. And I'll be happy with that. And I feel like that's a pretty good compromise. Because you were thinking El Camino, right? Around El Camino. And, yeah, I, and, yeah, I was, was, yeah. I, and I was thinking around Borat. So we are basically hitting the middle point. And it feels like it fits nice and comfy in there for me. It feels like it is comfy there. So you'd be happy for it to go at number 10 between Soul and the Meg. That's what we're talking here, yeah? Yeah, I feel, I, I, feel like, I feel like that's a fair thing to say. I feel like if you told somebody that, they would believe you a lot more than Crank being above Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that okay, was... but that is the that is the oh. beauty of this show is that we only get a chance to talk about three movies every week, and I do feel like every week it's going to get more comprehensive, and we're going to move a few things around. But I do think we're we're getting there. So, what I, I think I think that's been the hardest film we've had to place. You know, I I think so. I mean, I was shocked when you were talking about it being number five. I was <laughs> I was about to rage quit. <laughs> It's one of those things that, that when you rank a film already in the series, that sets a benchmark. And then that becomes a very different conversation than in the concepts of the whole list. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like maybe I was too zoomed in that I think it's better than Borat. So it needs to be that hard up in my list. Maybe that's what it was, but oh, yeah, I always think that, <laughs> that it's been the most conflicted I've been is that film, Borat 2. Again, because... Well, and it's all because of a situation I saw it in. I, I reckon. I reckon if I saw it at home, I wouldn't have that strong opinions about it. But being in a room full of people after nine months away from being in a cinema was mm-hmm. very special to me. And I completely understand that because that's probably why I enjoyed the Trial of the Chicago Seven so much. I just enjoyed watching that film on a big screen. We'll see what uh, happens. But- we'll see what film I see for the first time on May the seventeenth. And if I go yeah. and see a stinker, <laughs> it may end up at the top of the list. Godzilla versus Kong, best movie of all time. <laughs> okay, so shall we go now? I'll quickly run through from bottom to top um, the twenty-six films that we now have on the every movie ranked list. Oh, a little bit of uh, peeking behind the curtain there. <laughs> okay, nothing happens. So. From, <laughs> um, from 26 through to 20, we have Constantine, The Personal History of David Copperfield, Zombieland uh, Double Tap, The Kid Who Would Be King, Hubie Halloween, and The Peanut Butter Falcon, and then Lock Out. <clears throat> 19 through to 10, we have Anna and the Apocalypse, First Man, Batman and Robin, Ready Player One, Gemini Man. 
El Camino, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Midsummer, and The Meg. And that film, I'm sorry, Emma, uh, oh. who is really fighting for that film, is dropping down quite rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> so now our top ten, and it feels right to me that that Soul is is kind of creeping up there a little bit as well. Hmm. So Borat two at number ten, at nine Soul, eight Happy Death Day, seven Wayne's World, six Crank. Five, Borat, four, Booksmart, and the top three movies of all time so far. Uh, at number three, School of Rock. At number two, Mission Impossible, Fallout. And at number one, Room. I think I'm happy with that. Well, well, well. well what I probably won't be next been. week. but <laughs> I did not think this would be the episode that we have some very big disagreements. Well, not disagreements, just conflicted opinions about where specifically to list it. I, and to be fair... I think being on the same page of a film, but very, very slight, like different ends of that page, is mm. more. It's a more interesting conversation than saying this film is bad. This film's interesting. I think. I. I think both of us thinking it's a, it, It's like in in that range is a much harder yep. conversation to have. So, but if you have watched the previous episode um, or listened to the previous episodes uh, of Every Movie Ranked, you will know that we are easily persuaded. So please <laughs> let us know what you think. Um, do you agree with me about uh, Borat 2 not being anywhere near uh, near as good as, as Borat? Or do you agree with Callum and his wrong opinions? Let us know in the comments below uh, and get in contact. Let us know what you think. And let us know what films you'd like for us to talk about. And who you would like to have on the show as well because we absolutely love collaborating with guests um until next time i've been brad this has been callum and thank you for watching goodbye goodbye